Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining. This is Seeking Sustainability Live. I'm JJ Walsh in Hiroshima. And today I am talking with accessibility expert in Japan, the founder of Accessible Japan, Josh Grisdale in Tokyo. Thank you so much for joining, Josh. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, I, I told you before we started that I have wanted to talk to you for years. And once I realized, as a mother of young children trying to push a stroller through stations that only had stairs, or once I got injured and I had to access my city on crutches, I realized how difficult it must be for people who have accessibility issues. So I really appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you so much for everything you do. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm honored that you wanted to get in touch with me.、Uh, I always consider people who are,、uh, you know, have young children,、um, as well as people who are injured temporarily,、uh, you know, strong allies because、uh, they can be much more vocal and much more listened to than people with disabilities. So I'm glad you had those experiences because I'm sure they will probably shape the way you look at things、uh, as you go about life. Definitely. And ever since then,、uh, whenever I do travel destination consulting, as a part of what I suggest about sustainability, which of course is people, planet, and profit imbalance, part of the people equation is making accessibility issues easier for people in wheelchairs or people who are elderly or people who have hearing、uh, disabilities. So these are all issues that we want to touch on today. Um, you've got so much great advice on your website. So、uh, let's start with how people can access your information. I love your website, Accessible Japan. Can you tell us about it? Yeah.、Um, so I started the site、uh, about five years ago now, I think.、Um, I don't know. We had, we, we had Corona. So I mean, it seems like time is going at a different pace than normal. So I'm not quite sure if it was five years ago or not,、um, but it was a number of years ago. Um, and I started it as、uh, sort of a personal project.、Um, I realized that、um, there wasn't enough information on accessible travel in Japan in general,、uh, in English particularly.、Um, I, when I first came to Japan back in 2000,、uh, it was my first time,、uh, there's literally no information available、uh, except for maybe a line in,、um, some sort, in some guidebook that said, you know, it's difficult for people in wheelchairs.、Um, and that was about it.、Um, And so that was you know, 20 years ago. And I realized even when I started the webpage five years ago,、um, there still wasn't enough information available in English.、Uh, I would use Japanese information a lot of times. I thought, oh, you know, it's such a you know, waste because Japan is really quite progressive in a lot of ways in terms of accessibility.、Um, and I think it's really unfortunate that people、um, who have disabilities or other special、uh, travel considerations.、Um, Write Japan off because they think, oh, it's someplace I can't go because it's not accessible, or they have some sort of, you know, they see these things on, on Twitter or Facebook where they have, you know, a, a train station attendant pushing people into a train, and, you know, they think, oh, I'm, I'm in a wheelchair, I can't ride a train in Japan. But,、um, you know, so I started the website to try to share information. Uh, uh, two things. Well, one is to encourage people that, you know, Japan is a place you can come to、um, uh, regardless of your ability. Uh, but also to、uh, provide the, the needs,、um, you know, the information needs that people might have.、Um, I think when we're planning、um, trips,、uh, everybody gets really excited about,、oh, I want to go here, I want to do that.、Uh, but if you have a disability, then、um, as soon as you have the excitement of going, the next step is, is the fear, the worry of, oh, maybe I can't do that. I really want to go there, but I'm not sure if I can.、Um, and you have to do so much research, et cetera. Uh, to prepare for that. So, I wanted to provide as much information as I could in English、um, so that、um, you know, people can you know, get,、uh, get the information they need so they can stop doing the worrying part、uh, and get back to the enjoying part and the looking,、uh, the looking forward part. So,、uh, that's、yeah. where I started.、Um, yeah, so I've been doing that for a number of years now. You mentioned, I think it was a tweet the other day, that 70% of people would travel more if they would be confident that there wouldn't be accessibility issues when they travel. So there is a lot of potential in terms of providing、uh, what they say in Japan barrier free services、um, to,、mm -hmm. to make it more attractive and more appealing for visitors to Japan as well as new residents, right? 
Oh, exactly. I mean, it's it, information is so essential. There was another study uh, from the UK where it was uh, they're asking people, uh, you know, if you before you go out to someplace in your local city, um, if you do you look for information before you go? And I think upwards of you know, 90 percent of the people with disabilities said, oh, yes, I always check the place where I want to go to see if it's successful or not, because, you know, you don't want to go there and then be disappointed. You know, I can't get into that cafe that I saw on TV or something. Um, and the next question, follow up question was, well, if there's no information, what do you do? And uh, I think over half the people said, well, if there's no accessible information available, uh, then I won't go or I'll go to a different location. Um, so that's why it's just it, the access to information is so, so important. And I found this really interesting, this statistic, because 70% of all travelers surveyed, I think it's by Expedia, who did this survey a couple of years ago, are also mm -hmm. seeking sustainability in travel. So mm -hmm. I thought, wow, we've got a majority looking for accessibility options, which of course is included in sustainability and general audience as well looking for sustainability. You just cannot lose by making places more sustainable, right? Yeah, and I think that you get a higher quality of um, uh, the travelers uh, in, in that sense that you don't get numerous people coming longer and longer, but a lot of times people with disabilities want to stay and enjoy themselves longer than other people. So you don't get the same turnover, but you get um, the benefit actually of um, higher uh, you know, economic return because a lot of people with disabilities uh, they tend to stay longer but they also travel with companions and so they're they're more likely to um you know use their their finances in that local the place the visit place they're visiting so you can have you know less turnover but uh just as much economic benefit from uh, encouraging accessibility yeah which is so important and as we encourage people to go places and stay longer have slow travel that must be more appealing than hopping on and off public transport and racing around the country on your rail pass which some people do and yeah. <laughs> we definitely don't want to encourage that <laughs> exactly, stay and yeah. enjoy have quality mm -hmm. now you exactly, also exactly. manage tabby folk can you introduce tabby folk because that's a great <laughs> resource as well Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, it's a, a side project I started, um, another side project I started. Um, I, I'm a little bit of a habitual side project starter. Um, and um, so it, it's um, a, site, a site for people uh, to get together in a community uh, and to share uh, information with each other about accessible travel. Um, so a place people can go and ask questions um, and get answers. Um, it's sort of like a you know, kind of Facebook, but focused entirely on um, accessible travel. That's also a place for, um, you know, companies um, and businesses involved uh, in tourism together uh, in general or accessible tourism in specific that they can get together. They can share information about their locations as well as be available to uh, answer questions uh, for uh, people who have those, uh, those questions, sorry, be able to answer uh, questions for people who are seeking information. So um, that's another thing I'm doing. And actually, we're going to have an app available um, over the summer, uh, hopefully. So uh, that'll be an easier way for people to log in and join that. That's wonderful. And it's such a great resource. Um, you have a wealth of information online. Uh, I don't think I have a screenshot here, but you've also written a wonderful book on accessibility in Tokyo. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. And um, I'll also say hi to my dad, who I think is watching now. I just got a notification popped up. It's like, how do I sign in? Uh, so I don't know if you got in or not, but um, but uh, him and my mother actually are part of the reason that I wrote the book. Um, and that was uh, because, you know, um, for me, I'm, you know, I'm always online and using my phone or using my computer, et cetera. Uh, but my mother brought up the point that, um, you know, a lot of people when they're traveling, they want something physical to hold. Uh, they want to write notes. Uh, they want uh, to underline things, uh, to, you know, fold pages. Um, and so it's, it helps them to prepare and help them when they're, you know, on the road. And, you know, a lot of times you don't have the same uh, access to uh, the internet when you're traveling sometimes. So to have something physical like that is very important. Um, so that was the inspiration for me writing the Accessible Japan's uh, Guide to Tokyo. Um, and I published it back in 2018 the first time. Um, and then I uh, refreshed it uh, in preparation for the Olympics. Um, 
so that was about a year ago now, I guess. But um, uh, so I um, it's just sort of uh, it's sort of a I guess you'd say like a compendium of the things that are on the website for Tokyo. Um, you can divide it into a little bit different uh, ways. Um, it's got an extra guide into um, the basics of uh, getting around in Tokyo and and some other things like that. Uh, but also, you know, uh, sort of more themed ideas. So like in Japanese gardens and the the, the uh, sites, um, different sites that are accessible gardens, and then maybe uh, modern Tokyo and you know, some of the more modern places, stuff like that. So it's sort of just a, a guidebook uh, to Tokyo that you can carry around with you. Um, it's available on Amazon. Um, and you can get on Kindle as well. So, so I don't know if that, that defeats the purpose of having something to, to carry around with you, but that means, uh, but it's, uh, I, you know, it's I agree. Be, uh, I agree with your mom, hundred percent. I'm old school. I like a newspaper in my hand. I like a, a book that I can write in and put notes in. And I have all these little tab stickers that I put everywhere. And then I love to pass it on. So I know that maybe mm. Kindle is is more sustainable in one way because you're saving a tree, but it does it does use energy as well, right? So if you're using it as long as you can and you pass it on, mm -hmm. it can be just as sustainable having a book. So yeah, I, no, I was actually quite yeah. surprised to see that um, you know you look at the the sales figures um, and the the paperbacks are um, you know the ones that were. Uh, selling better, and um, so I was quite surprised. So I'm thankful to my parents for suggesting that. Um, but um, and also, I mean, you know, it's on Amazon, so it's printed just in time. Um, so it's not uh, wasteful in that you know there's you know hundreds of copies all all printed up and waiting. Um, it's only printed as it's needed, so it's also sustainable in that way. I think. So. Wow, great! And speaking of books, uh, you have a great section on your website where you recommend other books. Um, written by people mm. with accessibility issues. And I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. I've just screenshot part of it because you've got a big section, but can you tell us a bit about those? Yeah, uh, so there's a number of uh, books on there that I think you know, would be of interest for people uh, who um, you know, are inter have an interest in Japan and accessibility. Uh, there's some from a few Japanese uh, uh, authors, um, as well as some uh, expatriates that have lived in Japan or live in Japan. Um, and um, you know, I think it's sort of a, you know, it's a lot of people want a book to read as well when they're on, on a vacation. So, you know, it's something that sort of can go along with that. Um, so they can, you know, read a, a story of a person with a Japanese person with disability while they're traveling in Japan uh, on an accessible tour. So I thought that was sort of a, a nice companion to go along with the travel. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's also a great way to, to learn uh, different people's uh, perspectives, challenges, uh, get a deeper understanding of the culture as well. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, you also have a fantastic YouTube channel. Now, you some of your videos have had over hundreds of thousands of views about using an accessibility elevator in the train station. That's really impressive. So there's a lot of demand for the kind of information that you're providing on YouTube as well, right? Yeah, it's a, I also admit that it's a bit of a neglected channel. I haven't put the videos up much lately, but um, but the one that's a, an accessible escalator in Japan is uh, quite popular. It's picked up in a couple of different places. Um, and I think it's sort of something that really speaks to uh, a lot of Japanese ingenuity uh, when it comes to accessibility. Um, personally, uh, they are terrifying, <laughs> but uh, and they, they used to be around more uh, more common, but thankfully, you know, a lot more elevators are, are coming becoming more common, so you don't see them as much anymore. But I still thought it was a really neat way of trying to, um, you know, fit the the existing infrastructure uh, and make it accessible um, in a you know cost-effective way uh, without uh, doing a lot of extra construction, etc. Um, and I, I just thought it was you know a neat way that a different way that uh, different countries um, come up with solutions. Um, so that's uh, one of my yet yeah, best performing videos, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. And it's not only um, about train stations, like as well as in your guidebook, you talk about going to shrines and attractions and which ones are accessible. And uh, I think that's a great resource for anybody visiting Japan, for sure. Yeah, myself, I use YouTube a lot when I go to other places. So, um, you know, it sort of gives me an idea um, of what a place will be like. Um, and it goes back to the importance of information, I think. Um, you know, they say, you know, pictures is, is a thousand words. So I'm sure a video is 
much more time, many more times than that. Um, so it helps you to see things that maybe, you know, a photographer might think that, oh, this is a, uh, a good shot that tells a lot of information. But, you know, if you're just, you know, moving a camera around, you might pick up on something that might be useful for somebody else that you didn't even pick up on, but um, they can, you know, freeze the frame and, and uh, check it out. So um, that's a good in inspiration to get back onto the, the YouTube channel. Yeah. On your introductory video on YouTube, uh, you're talking about welcome to your, your channel, but you highlight two of the issues which are probably the most uh, searched for about public transportation and about visiting attractions in Japan, such as shrines or temples. Um, can mm -hmm. you talk about those two a little bit? Yeah, transportation, um, I think, is one of the areas that Japan really excels at. Um, and I think that uh, maybe a lot of people get, getting lost in Tokyo probably think, oh, Japan is, you know, it's impossible uh, to go around on the train, but it is actually completely the opposite. Um, uh, I think, uh, so if you think of places like New York or London, I think, I don't remember the exact number, so I shouldn't be quoted on it, but um, I think less than half of the stations are accessible um, in a lot of those, uh, especially older subway areas. Um, and so you a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, America's better or Europe's better for those kind of things. But um, in Japan right now, uh, with the law, uh, it's required that any station with more than uh, 3,000 daily visitors, which of course seems like a lot, but in Japan, that's <laughs> that's nothing at all. Um, so anything with more than any station with more than 3,000 daily visitors is required to have an accessible route. Um, and so because of that, now I think about Tokyo, Tokyo is about 96% of the stations are accessible and we have a lot of stations. So it's, it's that's nothing to, to laugh at. Um, um, and they're changing the rules again in the future to 2000 daily uh, users as well. It's also for um, out in the country, uh, it doesn't necessarily need to have that many daily visitors but it needs to be sort of maybe an important station. Um, so because of that, it's actually quite easy to get around uh, places like Tokyo, Osaka, Kyoto, um Hiroshima as well I think is not so bad though I think the trolley or the the um light rail is a bit difficult to get on at some stations um but um so I mean that makes it really really easy to get around these places uh, and I think people are quite surprised at that um so um you don't need to res reserve anything in advance um also I see on the screen now you have the the Tenji block or the the braille blocks which yeah, actually uh, were a really... Japanese invention it's really interesting. Be, people might be wondering what it is. Can you introduce that to us? Yeah, sure. For people with uh, visual impairments, um, so there's two different main types. Um, so you see the one, um, I think it's called a blister block. I'm not sure if that, that's correct, but um, the ones with dots on it, that means uh, it's something to to take notice. Um, so maybe at the top of stairs or like you see in the picture here where there's uh, two different routes branching off. Um, so sort of a, it's sort of like a warning or take notice uh symbol um and the other ones are sort of directional so that sort of uh, indicates the path uh to you know some sort of uh important location so it might be to the elevators which actually is, is good for people in wheelchairs as well so if you ever get lost and you try to figure out where the elevator is usually if you follow the blocks you might find your way there um they're a bit bumpy if you're in a wheelchair but um but they're actually um uh, invented back in the 60s um from uh, the prefecture next to you uh, in Okayama Ken. Um, and uh, they're originally created by uh, an inventor who wanted to uh, ensure the safety of children uh, attending school for the blind. Um, and he was concerned that they, you know, um, with the increase of uh, cars everywhere that they uh, might get into accidents. So they, uh, it started off, I think, just at the, the light, um, the traffic light uh, in front of the school, but then it uh, sort of spread around the city a bit more. And then uh, I'm not sure exactly when it was, but it was taken up by Japan Rail as well. And so that mean, meant that it spread across the country. Um, and then from there, it's gone to other places in the world. So um, I think it's something, again, uh, a lot of people in Japan, you know, they don't think that, uh, you know, Japan, you know, is as good at accessibility as other countries. But that's, I think it's a, a great story to encourage people um, in Japan to, to take some pride in the um, accessibility features that they've um, brought into the world. Um, and so, yeah, so that's um, one thing. And then, so the other part uh, was about tourist attractions. Um, uh, yeah. And Be so before, I think- Before, can I just ask you a yeah. question about, about this? Um, so of course, 
at the uh, stoplights, which a lot of people who haven't been to Japan yet might not realize, they also have at every signal, they have noise. So they have like a beep bop, beep bop, and uh, sometimes mm -hmm. a chime going when it's time to cross. Um, are these things, do you think, are they there for accessibility issues, make it easier for people who are visually impaired? Ah, yes, that's what, that's what they're for, yeah. So you can tell which um, direction the, the light is uh, turned on so you can know when it's safe to, to cross or not. Um, they, I think they might be, they're, they're increasing, they're trying to increase the number at the moment, but um, they're generally around, most stations will have them now, I think. And at the station picture above in the top frame, um, you have an attendant who's helping you make sure you get on the train safely. Is this something that you would advise when you go to the station to work with the staff or not necessarily? Yeah. Um, so compared to some other locations around the world where you need to maybe book in advance, like a uh, call ahead to the station or sometimes even a day or two ahead, um, in Japan, uh, for the most part, you can just uh, go to the station and um, they will help you uh, immediately. Uh, in, sorry, they will listen to your request immediately. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean you'll get on the train uh, that quickly. Um, it, it depends on the station. Some stations, they can help you get on the train within 10 minutes of arriving. Others, uh, especially big stations, you might end up needing to wait a little bit more. Um, so basically, the process is you go to the station uh, attendant and they will uh, you ask, you'll say, I would like to go to such and such station. Um, and then from there, um, they will call ahead to make arrangements um, to the station you're going to. Uh, and then they'll take you down to the, tr uh, the tracks. They'll put a, a ramp out so you can get onto the, the train car. Um, and so they'll call ahead to where it is you're either changing trains or to uh, the destination you're getting off at. Um, and somebody will be waiting for you there when you get there. Um, so. Uh, it's it's really really incredible system. They actually they provide as well for people with visual impairments. So if they want somebody to guide them to the tracks, um, the staff are trained as well to to guide people with visual impairments. Um, and then somebody waiting for them when they get off the train as well. Um, so it's a really a phenomenal system. That's really awesome. Uh, we'll talk about buses and taxis in a minute. We have a question from Paul mm -hmm. on Facebook. As you say that getting around some of the main visitor locations is actually easier than might be expected. Do you think there is an opportunity for Japan to attract more visitors with disabilities by getting the word out about this? No, I think that's, yeah, it's important to Japan, Japan to really focus on getting the word out about this. I think I think we've probably all seen this in, uh, you know, media uh, or promotions for uh, come visit Japan, and you almost always see things, you know, people uh, in these, uh, uh, you know, uh, maybe lots of tori, uh, the the shrine gates, uh, and they're on, you know, a set of stairs, and you know, and there's like um, it's a really traditional setting, and and so for somebody with a, a disability, you look at these things and you see stairs immediately. It's like, oh. You know, I, I probably can't enjoy any of the cultural sites of Japan because there's only stairs. Um, but there are a number of places um, that are doing a really, really good job of becoming accessible. So I think if, um, you know, the government focuses more on, or, or other um, media agencies as well, focuses on, um, you know, promoting the fact that, hey, you can come here too. Uh, I think it's really, really important. I think, you know, as, um, back up a little bit further to a bigger discussion about this, uh, diversity and inclusion uh, i think you know it's it's really become evident it's important to see somebody like you um, in uh, media and advertising uh, promotional materials um, it just makes that that step so much easier uh, for going deciding to go somewhere uh, you know i think that um, you know if i see somebody in a wheelchair um, in uh, you know on a brochure or on a website um, for a tourist attraction like oh okay then i can go there um i was looking up some uh was it the new um ropeway in yokohama recently and i was trying to figure trying to find accessibility information i figured i was gonna have to dig through the faq or um, maybe call them to ask questions but just on the website that um, they didn't have any pictures necessarily but uh in the description of the ropeway cars uh they described that they're all accessible you know that just one line in the thing and that and that made a huge difference it's like oh i want to go there now um so i think that having that promotion uh, is, is, is essential uh, to encouraging that. I think, you know, it's sort of a, a chicken and egg problem where, uh, you know, people, um, you know, they, they want to 
draw people with disabilities necessarily, uh, but then uh, nobody comes so they think oh well nobody's going to come so you know so if you don't if you don't make the promotional material to encourage people to come then you will not necessarily see the actual needs uh, more people the number of people desiring to come yeah well we have icons for vegetarian vegan gluten-free mm -hmm. uh organic can we have or do we have an icon for accessible destinations or accessible facilities is there a icon that's accepted in japan or worldwide well the typical uh wheelchair sign uh the, the blue uh and white wheelchair sign um it's, it's it's universal i think um you see here in japan as well um for places that are um accessible for people with uh, hearing impairments there's usually a, a, an ear mark um and a, a guide dog mark is usually a, uh pretty common uh, for, um, you know, for people with visual impairments. Um, I think, you know, the, the standard symbols are available, but they're not necessarily used enough is part, part of the problem. Um, and so I think, you know, if, if people even just even just having that mark, uh, you know, can make a, such a huge difference um, and uh, encouraging people to go. Um, and especially for, for tourism, I think that, you know, if you're planning your trip, um, you don't want to waste time. You don't want to waste money. Um, so when you're planning on going someplace, if you if you don't have that information, you might not stop at a place that you're really interested in going. Uh, for example, I always use the, yeah, I'm probably gonna get in trouble from the a city between Tokyo and Osaka um, that uh, has you know not necessarily a lot of popular you know tourist stops, but there is you know one large castle there, uh, and that you know if that information on accessibility isn't there, people might not think, oh, I want to stop in that city on that way, and so. If they think that they can't go there, if, uh, then they might just, you know, completely miss out on something because they don't want to waste their time. Yeah. How about the term barrier-free? Is that only in Japan mm -hmm. or is that... I, um, only at first I thought so. Japan. Yeah. Yeah, at first I thought it was, but um, one of my friends who's in academy, uh, the academy, uh, sorry, in the uh, academic world, uh, he let me know that there was actually, um, uh, I think it originally originated in... Uh, Northern Europe originally, um, okay. as sort of a descriptor in um, in papers about you know a, a barrier-free world or a barrier-free environment, etc. Um, but it really wasn't picked up on as much as um, a lot of um, you know in other places. But it, for for some reason, it picked up on and uh, became popular in Japan. Uh, so it sort of became the de facto word for accessibility here. Um, accessible is sometimes used now. Um, but I definitely I try to encourage, um, you know, hotels and tourist attractions to use the word accessible, um, mostly because um, um, it, it's, it sort of helps people to, uh, you know, when they're looking for things, um, because I think most people, when they're looking for a hotel, for example, they'll say, you know, accessible hotel Tokyo or something. They're not going to look up barrier-free hotel Tokyo, but a lot of the, the hotels in Japan, they'll, they'll use the word um, barrier-free. And I think it's sort of unfortunate because there's a, you know, there's needs and there's availability, but they're not getting matched together because of, you know, a difference in wording. That is a really good point. Uh, Paul says using the icons more is something that could be implemented quite quickly. Great idea. Um, and people maybe ask, how is accessibility at that castle? Uh, right? <laughs> yeah. Not barrier-free. Um, that, castle, that <laughs> castle is actually, uh, was uh, quite good. Um, uh, but it's currently being renovated uh, and there's some debate as to what it will be like afterwards. Um, and it, it, it's actually a big debate in terms of accessible tourism and um, and cultural tourism that, you know, uh, becoming accessible and uh, 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 allowing many people to enjoy the place as possible versus uh, historicity and, you know, is it okay to uh renovate places that you know maybe some number of hundred years old um etc or if we're going to build a replica do we keep it historically authentic versus uh you know accessible for everybody i mean that's i think it's actually happening right now at the parthenon in greece as well they've added some um ramps to help it become more accessible and there's a lot of people that get up got upset because it's like oh it's sort of, that's ruining the site it's turning into disneyland um or something like that so it's definitely a debate um, that needs to probably needs to happen, I think, um, uh, in the tourism industry. 
Yeah. Um, for anybody who would say that, I would say I've been there and they added a sidewalk, which was not authentic either. So visitors could walk around. I don't see the difference. Um, I love this uh, tweet that you had, uh, maybe a cafe or a restaurant, and they had a sign saying, watch your step. And you had a great comeback for this. You want to tell us? Uh yeah, I, just, I, I don't know exactly what I said, but uh, you know, if you're putting in steps for aesthetic or design purposes, but then you need to put a big sign that says, watch your step, then that kind of defeats the purpose, I thought. Um, and maybe they shouldn't have steps in the first place. Uh, you know, if it's, uh, you need to put a caution, cautionary sign like that. Um, so I think, you know, I, I think that's something definitely in Japan in particular, uh, where there is a lot of um, steps. Um, I think sort of uh, got a lot of uh, particular um, cultural um, uh, background to it, um, as well as um, you know, uh, some aesthetically, a lot of places enjoy putting steps <laughs> different places. Um, so I think that's why it's important for uh, places to, you know, be um, interacting with the disabled community um, to ask about needs. What's uh, you know, just the, the exposure of um, knowing people with disabilities uh, will help people think. Oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't. Uh, put a step there. Maybe I could put a slope there, or maybe that might, you know, be a, a creative way to, um, you know, to be aesthetically pleasing. I've seen some places where they have a, had a flight of steps, but um, going up diagonally was uh, a ramp. Um, it's hard to visualize. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure you could look at it up there. There's probably a picture somewhere. Um, okay. But you know, if you look at steps from front on, you see the steps. But if you're coming at it from the side, there's a ramp that goes up to inside the steps kind of thing, if you were. Um, so, I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, definitely a challenge in it. But I think it's, it really speaks to the importance of um, communication, discussion. Uh, I think exposure is really important when it comes to diversity and inclusion. Um, I think that the more people uh, with special needs um, or particular needs, if uh, that's a better wording, um, people with uh, disabilities, elderly, People with, um, you know, baby cars, uh, sorry, buggies. Sorry, my Japanese uh, interrupts my English sometimes. Um, if they, uh, you know they're out and more seen in public, then people will start to think about those kind of things more. Yeah. Uh, speaking of ramps, uh, let's talk about buses and taxis in Japan. So, how is it taking buses usually? You introduced this uh, really well on your website. Could you give us a little summary? Sure. Um, so buses, uh, for the most part, in large cities like Tokyo or Osaka, the majority of the buses are accessible. I think most of them in Kyoto as well are all accessible. Um, and so they're, uh, they'll have a, a mark usually on the front of them, the, the, the wheelchair icon, uh, and they'll have the wording that says non-step or no-step uh, bus. Um, and that the older buses uh, in the middle section, you'd have maybe two or three steps going up uh, into them. Um, so, I mean, so obviously there's a gap and there's a step, but that's what they mean by no step. Um, and so uh, they also have a ramp. And so you sort of need to not signal to the, the driver that you would like to go for a ride um, so that they will let you on. Um, unfortunately, uh, it's not automated. Um, so that does mean that the driver uh, does need to get out and put the ramp down for you, um, as well as fold up uh, two of the seats that become an accessible area. Um, so if you signal to them, they'll let you on first usually, um, because obviously if they let everybody else on first, then you, it'll be hard to move everybody around. Um, so they'll let you on, they'll put down the ramp, then they will put the seats up for you. Um, they'll often ask where it is you'd like to go so that you don't need to worry about pushing the button. Um, they'll, they'll know that you want to get off there. Um, and uh, depending on uh, the area, they might uh, strap your wheelchair um, to the bus. Um, for the most part, for a place like Tokyo, you probably don't need it. Um, but for some places that are, are hillier, then it, it could be advised so you don't go sliding around. Um, yeah, and then so then once you get to your destination, they put the ramp out again for you. That's good. So it just takes time, but it is possible. Um, how about yeah. taxis? So you've got an example here with Tokyo 2020. I know this was one of the targets for the games that they wanted to have mm -hmm. more uh, barrier-free taxis or accessible taxis, right? Yeah, um, so they're called Japan Taxi, and they're uh, loosely modeled off of the uh, London cabs. Um, they have a mixed bag of popularity. Um, 
they were not necessarily well received at first uh, by from a number of different perspectives. Um, they're kind of expensive, so a lot of the the um, the taxi companies didn't necessarily want to buy them, uh, and they weren't in in design. Uh, they were sort of a classic designed by committee kind of contraption, and the drivers had trouble setting up the ramps for them. Um, and I mean, because of that, a lot of times the drivers also weren't properly trained in a lot of cases. Um, so it wasn't off to a good start, um, but they sort of redesigned the ramp so it's easier for the driver to put them out uh, and drivers are more and more becoming used to them. Um, there is a little bit of a challenge in that um, they are, um, they're more designed for a smaller Japanese wheelchair. Um, so if I need to, if I use one, I have to take off the headrest, you can probably, so you can see behind me there. Uh, so I have to take off my headrest uh, to be able to get inside. Um, otherwise, uh, I won't fit. Um, and I need to actually go in and face sideways when I come in um, to it. Um, but so it is possible, but not necessarily uh, a guarantee that you can get into them uh, if you have a foreign wheelchair that is a bit bigger or taller. Um, but um, so they are a couple of the apps now for calling taxis. Um, for example, S Ride, S dot Ride is one of the one of the apps that you can use to call taxis. And in the app, you can actually uh, select to make sure that you get that type of taxi, um, which is is really good. So that means that um, you don't necessarily need to, if you can fit in one of the taxis, you don't need to worry about um, booking a large uh, lift equipped taxi, um, and you could still get around uh, and get you call a taxi and have it come within a couple of minutes. So uh, definitely huge improvements. Um, I'm very, very thankful that they started putting that in the app as well. Um, and it's encouraged me to use it more. And I think it will encourage a lot of other people to use it more as well. Yeah, good. Uh, if you're at a major station, uh, would they have one or two of these around? Or is it better to use the app in order, not expect them to have one? Um, if you're at a major station, you will likely um, more likely to see one there, um, uh, though um, I mean, the location might be a bit difficult to, to use with the ramp. Um, and a lot of times, actually, um, the, the, the turns or the places where the taxis park, um, it can be quite a lot of turnover. So a lot of times, maybe the drivers might not necessarily have the time or want to, to use the time to, um, to, to load you there. So it might be easier to use the app. It doesn't cost any extra, um, so it might, or even still, the person uh, that you want to ride the taxi, but it might be easier to get on over there or something like that. So um, that's also a possibility. Good. I, I've heard people using the Uber app in Japan for taxis. Now, Uber is run by uh, official taxi companies, not individual drivers in Japan. Um, would Uber mm -hmm. Taxi also have accessible taxis? I haven't checked. I have the app, but I haven't... Um... I, I haven't seen that selection option. I have looked a few times because I was hoping that you know that they would start offering that, uh, but I haven't noticed anything. You can choose like you know nicer cars uh, from it, but um, I haven't seen any for accessibility. Now, before we move on from ramps and wheelchairs, uh, you also offer a service for renting um, from your website, which I thought was amazing because. I think we have, we run a website called Get Hiroshima and we sometimes get inquiries from people who get injured and need uh, crutches or mm. wheelchair before they travel home or if traveling around Japan. And it's often really hard to find rentals. So this is a great service. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about it a little bit? Yeah, um, actually it's kind of funny because uh, my, my own bias um, as a wheelchair user I've never thought that anybody would want to rent a wheelchair, so it didn't really came up for me. But I did, uh, back in the earlier iteration of the website, just have a regular community, uh, contact form. And I kept getting these requests for wheelchairs. I couldn't couldn't fathom it because I couldn't imagine traveling without my wheelchair. Um, so I don't know why people were coming without wheelchairs. Um, but then, you know, I, I decided that there was obviously a need for that. So I, um, you know, made a form for it. Um, and I've, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, the people who are using them much more are uh, elderly travelers um, who, uh, you know, they, they want to travel into Japan, but they have a little bit more difficulty um, for getting around um, and uh, maybe just want that extra help for when they're, they're moving around a lot. Um, people who, you know, bought their tickets a number of 
months before uh, and then broke their leg, you know, before coming um, or uh, became pregnant and found it, found it difficult to walk long distances. Um, so there's definitely a needs and that's sort of, it was a, definitely a learning experience for myself as well. Um, and so basically I, I don't rent the wheelchair myself. Um, um, what, or actually there's med other medical equipment as well. Um, so if people are interested in, uh, for example, they're called uh, hoists. So for people who can't stand by themselves, uh, but need help uh, use a special equipment for transferring between a bed and a wheelchair, uh, and they need that at a hotel, for example, um, they um, can uh, rent those as well. Um, so what happens basically is somebody will send in a request and I'll try to find a company in that area that uh, is willing to, to rent there. Uh, I've gotten in contact with a company that has quite a few locations now, um, and uh, we sort of built up a relationship, so they're much more uh, open to it. Um, unfortunately, like up until, like a lot of people sort of need to have these needs, um, but uh, the way the rental system here works in Japan is that um, everything is sort of based on uh, the medical system. So in general, if you were to rent something for in a normal situation, you would be registered with your city. Um, and so then if you have a need, then they would put you in contact with the rental company. The rental company then would provide the, um, the whatever it is you're renting. Um, and then they, they build the city and then you pay for 10% or wherever it is. So they're not necessarily set up for, you know, paying cash for, you know, uh, three days or something like that. So um, there are a lot of companies avail around, but they're not necessarily uh, focused on uh, on accessible tra travel, which is, you know, unfortunate because, you know, it could be a real uh, business opportunity for them. I have noticed in the airports, they do have wheelchairs you could use um and on airplanes as well uh if people need but of course you might still want to enjoy your trip even if you get injured mm -hmm. and you might need a wheelchair or you you're you have a disease and it it flares up while you're traveling yeah. and you yeah. need a wheelchair so yeah, it's know. it's a wonderful service mm -hmm. thank you so much for doing that uh, let's talk about toilets because toilets are one of the main things I think people worry about when they travel and you cover it, you know, really well in Japan. So how are toilets in Japan for accessibility? Yeah, I don't know. So, um, yeah, Japanese toilets are something that is are really, really great. I think, um, uh, for example, when I, I was growing up in, in North America, um, in generally what you'd have is you'd have uh, a stall at the back of the other toilet that you know is a bit wider than the other ones um, and that works for maybe a lot of people but uh, for myself i'd often go somewhere with my mother um, so if i need to use the washroom my mother needs to help me uh, but it was always this debate you know do i go in to the ladies washroom with my mom or does she come into the men's washroom with me uh, and it's sort of you know a lot of times it was you know a really annoying aspect of going out. I would um, maybe sometimes not you know drink much so that I didn't need to use the toilet or something like that. And, um, so when I came to Japan and they have these, um, they're called multifunction toilets. I don't, they sort of picked a better name, I think, but um, they have these uh, everywhere. Um, so you'll usually find um, uh, a men's washroom and a ladies washroom. And then often in between, there'll be this other one that's um, uh, intended for, uh, Know, people who uh, need the privacy or extra space. Um, there's a lot, usually a lot of uh, different uh, items available in there. Um, so you'll see not, not only toilets, but you'll see um, a sink that's attached to the wall that's um, for ostomate bags. So if somebody who has an artificial, um, sorry, a, a colonoscopy, colonoscopy, I think that's what it is, sorry. Um, so they need to, to, to clean the colostomy bag, um, uh, they can use those facilities. Actually, I've heard from somebody who has a colostomy bag that when they visited Japan, it was almost like heaven that they could go nearly anywhere and not need to be worried about it because in North America, uh, they didn't have those kind of facilities available uh, where they lived. Um, but also, yeah, so you'll get, um, some places have beds and stuff like that too for changing. Um, unfortunately, they're not super standardized. Japan doesn't really have uh, something like the Americans with Disabilities Act where you, know, you have a lot of really standardized um, uh rules for dimensions and uh heights of things and stuff like that so you do have to understand that um 
you, you just because it's an accessible toilet doesn't necessarily mean it will have the same equipment or the same uh, layout as other ones. And so uh, you might need to search sometimes for them, but they are plentiful. You usually find them in stations, uh, even in uh, parks, um, they'll have often one. Um, and um, as someone just commented too, the, they're often very clean in the parks as well, uh, which is definitely a, a great thing. Um, and also, yeah, in department stores like that. So they're quite, um, you know, accessible. I would sort of recommend that as well for people in the, you know, tourism or industries, you know, just even to, to know where the local, the closest toilet is, um, that can be such a help for many people. So if you're a business uh, and so you can, if somebody says, hey, do you know where the accessible toilet is, that they can say, oh, it's just down the street there um, or something like that. That can be such a, an extra level of omotenashi uh, or, you know, hospitality uh, that they can offer. Yeah, definitely. I've seen so many interesting names for these toilets, like you said, uh, multifunction room, uh, all free toilet, gender free toilet, all inclusive, mm -hmm. like you see a variety of names. Uh, accessible mm -hmm. toilet would be a great option if we want to stick to a standard, right? <laughs> Because it's yeah. it's also inclusion, right? You don't, it is gender free. So, yeah. you know, if you're non-binary, exactly, yeah. you could use this. Everybody could mm -hmm. use it, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's a, a, lot, a lot of times, uh, you know, families, uh, you know, with young children uh, and their baby carriage, you know, they can't, uh, you know, they can't just leave their child uh, somewhere. So they need to obviously, um, you know, they use the washroom. Um, it's a, a good solution for them as well. So it's, yeah. I mean, I think really what needs to happen next is just to increase the number of them. Um, they they do exist, but you know, often there's only usually one uh, in the toilet where there are toilets. Um, uh, so if they increase them, then it'd just it'd be better for everyone, I think. Yeah. And like you said, also, uh, you used to debate whether to go in the women's with your mother or the men's with your mother, right? And if if these are, you know, for everybody, you could have a father taking his kid in. You could, you know, yeah, if it's yeah. a girl and not yeah. have these, these other problems which enter in, mm -hmm. it's all inclusive, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that's that's a, a hot topic, but one really interesting topic, um, which I found was about Japanese Braille, which I hadn't realized. Can you tell us about mm -hmm. Japanese Braille, how it's different? Yeah, I'm not a super expert, but um, um, I think in general, so I, I, you have to, I'll have to be fact checked on this, but I think for uh, Romanized Braille, I think there's uh, six dots available. Uh, whereas the Japanese will have eight, so that's sort of an extra two dots there. Um, so, and uh, they have ones corresponding for each of the phonetic sounds. Um, there, was, somebody did come up with a, a version for the the kanji characters, the the Chinese characters, um, but I don't think it's it's widely used. Um, but you will find it uh, in a number of places. You see you know, the can here um, that says that this is uh, alcoholic, um, so that you don't uh, make a mistake when you're going to buy a Coke and. Uh, instead by a, a coke and rum or something like that um and um and they, you also find them on a lot of um you, actually it's quite common in japan i think um i think one of the things that i think what i thought was really a, a fantastic fantastic idea was that uh on a lot of stations on the handrail going down to the train tracks uh underneath the train track uh, underneath the handrail uh there'll be you know a descriptor of this is the the train for such and such station uh um and you know uh going this direction on the left or something like that um and i just thought it's a you know fantastic uh, example of universal design um and uh, so yeah so you find it, it a lot of the train ticket booths did have it on it but they've all switched to uh touch panels now um so that's sort of uh an example of moving forward with technology but actually creating a barrier for some people um so they do have an audio uh reader for them uh, some train stations actually they'll have uh, a book um, of or even a panel on the wall of um, the prices uh, for different uh, trains or for different uh, stops uh, so you can sort of um, look up a stop to see how much it will cost uh, in braille um, on on the wall um, or in a big book so just to i'm completely ignorant about this but is it is it like the alphabet so would it, it be braille but in japanese so you would have to understand japanese to use japanese braille yeah unfortunately it's, it's japanese uh japanese braille so it's not romanized characters it's uh 
So your uh, hiragana, so you'd be like a, i, u, e, o. So we would each have a different uh, character for for or a different uh, braille layout for those, um, which is probably why they need the extra dots uh, in the first place, just because uh, because there's also the you know the I don't know how much your your audience knows Japanese, but uh, you know for for ones where like you know ka becomes ga or something like that with the two dots uh, two lines, um, so they need to accommodate those. So um, it's got the extra dots there, but unfortunately, yeah, if you don't know the Japanese braille, it won't probably be useful for you. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, of course, it makes sense, but I didn't expect that. Uh, let's talk about guide dogs, because uh, some people might want to come or live in Japan and use a guide dog. How easy is it to get around and use a guide dog? Yeah, that was something also I um, had the opportunity to learn more about um, through doing the website. Um, uh, so the it's it is a lot of work i think uh, i don't know how it compares to other countries i'm sure it's a lot of work whatever country you're going to because on top of all the you know, quarantine you need to do for animals etc um you also need to um prepare uh you know your uh certification for your dog um so japan has strict rules about you know what classifies as a guide dog uh, and one of those unfortunate um stipulations is that it was trained in japan uh, so, of course, if you're visiting Japan from another country, your dog was not trained in Japan. Um, so one of the uh, organizations for guide dog users sort of came up with a workaround where they will provide a sort of a temporary certificate for you. But it does require that your dog has been trained at uh, a certain school uh, or school association for guide dogs. Um, and that um, and that you, so you need to get those, the paperwork in. So it can probably take you know, almost even half a year to do it. So you don't want to, to wait too long. Um, but it, it is possible from what I understand. Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize it was so difficult. Um, you also introduced a movie about a guide dog story in Japan. Was it a Japanese film? Quill? Yeah, I said I haven't watched. I, I'm 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 horrible with crying for animal movies. So I probably wouldn't want to watch it anyways. But uh, so there's one more thing I should probably bring up there is that the guide dogs are um, allowed for people with visual impairments, um, and uh, there's you know for um, different types of uh, dogs that uh, or animals used for like uh, support animals uh, for mental illness, etc. Uh, are do not qualify in Japan. Um, so you you need to have a visual impairment and a dog trained for that um, to be able to be certified. So uh, that is something that people need to be aware of. Um, you do see them sometimes in Japan, but not very often. And uh, sometimes, mm -hmm. like I was glad to see that sticker sometimes is more common in use. Um, but even for Japanese people using uh, seeing eye dogs or guide dogs, it's still not easy. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm hoping that becomes a bit easier over the years. Mm -hmm. um, how about sign language? Um, is there you talk a little bit about this on your website? Yeah, uh, so Japanese sign language is also, uh, it's unique to Japan. There's a Japanese sign language, JSL, um, and it was developed in Japan. Um, so the picture there, uh, she's a famous lady with the hearing impairment. She um, she wrote a book about, she worked as a hostess uh, for a number of years. And so uh, she would use a, a writing board most often because a lot of her, uh, the, the customers at the facility, uh, her establishment, they didn't you know obviously speak uh, sign language. Uh, so she's writing a lot. So she, the, the notebook hostess or something, I think was the, probably the name of the book. Uh, but she's actually now a politician. Um, and because of that, uh, in her local area, they um, brought in some new technology to help uh, for real-time translation for her during uh, community meetings, et cetera. Um, but yeah, so it's, a, it's a quite different um, from American Sign Language um, or British Sign Language. Uh, I think there are a few things that might translate, but again, it sort of developed um, on its own here in Japan. Uh, you know, there's you know huge cultural differences, uh, grammatical differences, etc., uh, from you know the English world. So because of that, um, it has become quite unique. So uh, there, I think there are a few YouTube stations um, where you can actually uh, they'll teach you Japanese sign language, and some of them have uh, sort of you know comparisons between the two languages. So that might be something as a fun project people might be interested in learning um again it's it's probably uh i mean it's, it's well used in the deaf community but uh the average japanese person probably 
you're less likely to find somebody who can uh, speak uh, Japanese sign language, uh, let alone English sign language. Um, so for the most part, uh, writing things will be essential. I think a lot of buses uh, as well as trains at uh, the train station will have um, a writing board available if needed. Um, so you can use that, like the one that she's holding there, um, you can use that to communicate as well uh, on the spot. So of course, a lot of us know that we all have a smartphone, so it's probably not as much of a, a concern as before, but those things do exist, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's really good to know before coming to live or work or travel in Japan. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Uh, we have about five more minutes. You've given us so much great information, Josh. Thank you so much. Is there anything we haven't touched on, which often comes up in your work yeah. or you would like to suggest for people trying to make their restaurant or business or destination more accessible, for example? Yeah, I think about, right for the for traveling, the biggest issue in Japan is probably uh, accommodation. Um, there really aren't enough accessible hotel rooms available uh, for for hotel rooms. If you're only looking at hotel rooms, not actual hotels, uh, of all the hotel rooms in Japan, I think only about uh, 0.4% are accessible at the moment, uh, which is quite low. Uh, up until now, the the rules for um, accessible rooms has been that if your establishments uh, has under 50 rooms, then you don't need an accessible room. Uh, so anything over 50, uh, before it was only you needed one room, but now it's moved up, Is now it's changed to you need 1% of your rooms to be accessible. It's still, it's still not enough, I don't think. Um, but um, it can be hard to find accessible rooms. And also, as I mentioned before, not having the strict uh, uh, laws about uh, what constitutes an accessible room, uh, a lot of it is sort of left up to interpretation. Um, so you'll find a lot of variety uh, in hotel rooms, some that are completely decked out and might look like a, you know, a hospital uh, because they've done so much. Uh, other places that are, you, know, you sort of have to try to figure out what exactly is accessible about this room, uh, other than maybe one handrail on the wall. Um, so that can be an extra layer of a challenge for people who are planning to visit Japan. Uh, on top of that, unfortunately, a lot of times also booking the rooms uh, can be difficult um, as a lot of establishments, they um they require to connect with them directly to book the rooms but so that's a challenge that you might want to uh, spend some extra time thinking about before you come visit for businesses that are interested in becoming accessible i think the the very first thing and probably the easiest thing to do is just to promote uh accessible information about your location even if it's not accessible just having that information is, is essential uh, everybody's needs are different so what's accessible for one person might not be for another or vice versa so um, just having that avail information available allows people to decide for themselves uh, whether they can go to a location or not. Lots of pictures, um, videos, if possible, uh, can make such a huge difference. And I think that just to, last, to remember that there can be a, a huge economic benefit um, for becoming accessible. Uh, you know, having a disability, uh, you know, if you're lucky, uh, you, everybody will become disabled because you'll get old enough to, uh, to start having special needs. Um, uh, but anybody could join the the minority at any time uh, with an accident or, or something else. Um, so it's really important um, uh, to focus on that and to not think of it as an extra expense, but maybe to think of it more as an investment for your business uh, and for the future. Definitely. And that's such great advice. And uh, I think I saw this on a wide show the other year, but this is something I often suggest when I do consulting for destination managers is that they try it out themselves, right? So they walk mm. around with tourists and see if their map is working. They go around yeah. their barrier free facility in a wheelchair to see if it's possible and to see what the hurdles are like. Um, when you do consulting, is this the kind of thing that you recommend as well? That's an excellent idea, yes. Um, so there are actually, there's a Japanese uh, tourism board has recently uh, brought in a barrier-free certification um, system that they're working on. And one of the aspects of that is that the company or facility uh, to, is to do um, uh, training with their staff uh, and that can include uh, you know trying to, to, to work out maybe to put on uh, a blindfold and try to figure out what it's like to, to walk around they'll be able to see things or uh, to I think there's another one where you can put on weights on your arms and legs and to understand to feel what it's like for 
uh, an elderly person to try to walk a long distance, etc., or go upstairs, etc. Um, so I think it's definitely uh, something I was encouraging also people to to reach out. There's there's people with uh, special needs in every community around the world. Um, ask your local experts, uh, you know, what it's like. Um, and But also to ask with a listening ear so that you um, can, you know, if you, uh, you know, you can get some advice, you know, this would be better if this is like this, uh, then to try to implement that and then to keep asking, you know, every time what's, what are we doing well, what are we not doing well, or what can we do to improve? Um, and I think that's really important, uh, the communication. Absolutely. And with anything you're trying to do better for sustainability and inclusion, you have to reassess, make aims, reassess how we doing, how could we do better? It's an ongoing process. So it sounds like it's the same for accessibility issues as well. Thank you so much, Josh. Yeah. That was a wonderful conversation. And I'm sure people oh, watching, my pleasure. you will be so, you know, there's so much useful information here and your website is such a great resource. You're also on Twitter, you're on Patreon, you're on YouTube. Very easy to find. You have a Facebook page as well, right? Is there anywhere yeah. else I've for, missed? For example, it's right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be okay. I'm, not, I'm not much of a Facebook user personally, but yeah. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you so much again. And uh, I hope to collaborate on tourism for projects sure. in future. Yeah, that'd be wonderful to have you as an expert consultant. Yeah, I'd love to have more stuff on Hiroshima on the website as well. So maybe we can work on that. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for joining. Thank you for the great uh, comments. Paul has one last comment. This has been an excellent talk. I've learned so much and will take it on board in my work. Thank you and keep up the good work, Josh. Great. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you, everyone. Have a great weekend. Thank you so much, Josh. Everybody take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.